Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of December 2010. I always get the little plug out the way first thing to let you get some pieces you listen to the rest of the stories I've got and so on. So I go into the newcomers. The newcomers should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's the main website and bookmark all the other sites you see listed on the front page. Now, all those sites carry audios of the talks they're given. They all carry a lot of transcripts in English, too, for print-up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentinel.eu, which you see listed on the com site as well, and help yourself to those for print-up. Now, you are the audience who bring me to you because I don't bring on advertising guests, and um, uh, that would be very lucrative if I did. I can if I want to. And um, so far I've, I've been given a free hand to do what I want But I thought I'd go the other way and depend on the audience to support me And it's getting difficult these days because folk are so used to getting everything for free At least they think it's for free, but nothing in this world is truly free So if you want me to stay on the air, uh, please donate And purchase the books as well that I have for sale, the discs, etc At cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can find them there. You can find the buttons to, to like PayPal to purchase them. Just send the, a donation through PayPal, followed by an email with the name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. From the U.S., you can also use a personal check, and you can also use an international postal money order to Canada. Some people just send cash. And it's in across the rest of the world. You've got Western Union for straight wiring, which is more expensive, of course. You have MoneyGram, which is, uh, I think they do wiring too, but they also do a check form, which you can actually post to Canada if you're, if you have the patience to wait a week for it to get here. And, uh, it's a lot cheaper. Some people just send cash, and of course there's PayPal to order as well. Just use the button for PayPal, you'll see it on the website, and follow it up by an email with the name, address, and the order, and I'll get it out to you. Now on this particular show, I don't, um, I don't pull any punches in a sense, and it's taking that time to uh, put across to an audience who really started with nothing, to start with the reality they're in, as, or at least the one they've adopted or accepted, simply because everyone else has accepted it too, and they all think they're quite normal, and I've taken them through the steps of the various sciences involved to show them that you're being <laughs> heavily manipulated on a daily basis, and you have been since you were a child by people uh, who really run the world. And they they run it outside of politics. In fact, they run politics as, as well. And these are the mind managers, of course. And they, they are scientists. The very old science is, are used to control millions of people. And the trick is to get the big human herds, as they like to call the public of different countries, the human herds, to go along with their 
their plan. They don't fumble along just saying what we'll do now. They know what they want to do after this stage, the next stage, and the next stage, and the next stage. That's how the world really is run. And it's been like that for an awful, awful long time. And tonight I'll be talking about some of this because it's important to get a good foundation in at least the techniques that are used and, as I say, the big boys who've written books about it themselves, knowing that the general public have no patience to read anything and um, and knowing, too, uh, that uh, the culture industry, the whole industry of what you believe is your reality is so overwhelming now that very few people can really break out of it. Most folk think they're, they've woken up when they realize that 9-11 just collapsed like a, a deck of cards, but they don't know that they're already under the illusion before that happened as well. I'll be back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and talking about really how we understand the big world around us and we understand it the way we're taught to understand it by those who already control it. And we think we're sane when we bounce our ideas off, our downloads really off those around us, our peer group, and they come back with the same replies and they're all in agreement, so therefore you must be sane. And that's the simple technique of creating a really artificial insanity or sanity. It depends how you want to look upon it. But um, as I say, the sciences behind the mind are really old, although they keep on going with them and repeating experiments over and over ad nauseum in universities to make sure that they haven't missed anything, because it's very important for the controllers not to miss anything. That's why you're all being monitored on the internet and your cell phones and everything else that you do. You think you're not so important, but there are people above, way above you who think you are important because you might have some wild idea that no one's ever thought about before and set up as some kind of ripple effect that upsets the apple cart. That's what they're terrified of. And they're going to incredible lengths, as you well know, to try and stop that from happening. But here's a typical article that comes out. And it's interesting, too. I've talked about the Club of Rome and all the big foundations now who are pushing the idea of being post-democratic. We're in authoritarian societies now. Now that everyone's getting crammed into the big cities and so on. And we just simply are being taught to do what we're told and have a lot of fun at the same time. Lots of distractions, lots of entertainment, lots of sex in the clubs and stuff. And that's what keeps everyone occupied as we go through transitions, which are planned transitions. And here's an article here about democracy again. And what they're really saying here behind the story is also, is there any point in having it? They don't say that, of course, but that's what's implanted in your mind eventually. But anyway, this comes from the Boston Globe, and it's also in the alternate. So I'll read the alternate version. And it says, Are we too dumb for democracy, the logic behind self-delusion? When faced with facts that do not fit seamlessly into your individual belief systems, our minds automatically reject or backfire the presented facts. And it says... um, So the facts don't necessarily have the power to change our minds. In fact, quite the opposite. In a series of studies in 2005 and 2006, 
Researchers at the University of Michigan found that when misinformed people, particularly political partisans, were exposed to corrected facts in news stories, they rarely changed their minds. So the, the corrected facts still didn't change their minds. In fact, they often became even more strongly set in their beliefs. Facts they found were not curing misinformation. Like an underpowered antibiotic, facts would actually make the misinformation even stronger. And it's true, that's how people dig in their heels, isn't it, when they're stubborn, and they don't want to hear the facts that burst their bubbles. It says, in light of these findings, researchers concluded that a defense mechanism, which they labeled backfire, was preventing individuals from producing pure rational thought. The result is a self-delusion that appears so regularly in normal thinking that we fail to detect it in ourselves and often in others. When faced with facts that do not fit seamlessly into our own individual belief systems, our minds automatically reject or backfire the presented facts. The result of backfire is that we become even more entrenched in our beliefs, even if those beliefs are totally or partially false. This is the general idea is that it's absolutely threatening to admit you're wrong, said Brendan Nyan, the lead researcher of the Michigan study. The occurrence of backfire, he noted, is a natural defense mechanism to avoid that cognitive dissonance. It's interesting, too, you understand that when 9-11 happens and suddenly there's a war on terror across the world, uh, we, we saw Condoleezza Rice, we saw all the different people coming out of the Bush administration who were all meeting together to make sure that the right phrases depart to the public independently of each other and... Weapons of mass destruction was in all their lips in Osama bin Laden. And that's how they do it too. So apart from all this stuff, you're being lied to as well. Don't forget that part of it by those who want you to believe what you're told. It says, the conclusion made here is this, that facts often do not determine our beliefs, but rather our beliefs, usually non-rational beliefs, determine the facts that we accept. As a Boston Globe article notes, in reality we often base our assumptions on our beliefs which can have an uneasy relationship with facts, and rather than facts driving beliefs, our beliefs can dictate the facts we choose to accept. They can twist or cause us to twist facts so they fit better with our preconceived notions. Worst of all, they can lead us to uncritically accept bad information just because it reinforces our beliefs. This reinforcement makes us more confident we're right and even less likely to listen to any new information, and then we vote. Despite this finding, Nyan claims that the underlying cause of backfire is unclear. It's very much up in the area, he says, and on how our society is going to counter this phenomena, Nyan is even less certain. Uh, these latter unanswered questions are expected in any field of research, since every field has its own limitations, yet here the field of psychoanalysis can offer a completion of the picture. Exontes talk about disavowal and backfire which are one and the same. It says, in an article by psychoanalyst Rex Butler, Butler independently comes to the same conclusion as the Michigan study researchers. In regards to facts and their relationship to belief systems or ideologies, Butler says that there is no necessary relationship between reality and its symbolization. Our descriptions do not naturally and immutably refer to things, but things in retrospect begin to resemble their description. And that's true. And, and more ways than that, if you think about it, too. Thus, in the analysis of ideology, it's not simply a matter of seeing which account of reality best matches the facts, with the ones that is closest being the least biased and therefore the best. Uh, 
as soon as the facts are determined, we have already, whether we know it or not, made our choice. We are already within one ideological system or another. The real dispute has already taken place over what is to count as the facts, which facts are relevant, and so on. This places the field of psychoanalysis in the same footing as that of cognitive science in regards to this matter. But where cognitive sciences end with Nyan's question about the cause of backfire, psychoanalysis picks up and provides a possible answer. In fact, psychoanalysis have been publishing work on backfire for decades. Only psychoanalysis refers to backfire by another name, which is called disavowal. Indeed, these two terms refer to one and the same phenomena. Now, it's little bits and pieces like that that are so, uh, they, they omit so much that's meant, it's deliberately meant to mislead you, I think, personally, because the, the authors and even the, the reporters who are just simply parroting the findings or little bits of the handouts from the findings, they themselves um, don't bother to go into the rest of it because really this is old, old stuff and they certainly do know what causes all of these things. And if we go into Bernays, who, remember, was in the 1920s. This is the guy who helped set up the League of Nations uh, at the age of about 23. And he was a, the nephew of Freud. He's talking about organizing chaos and how we don't go with rationale. Bertrand Russell said the same thing. Bertrand Russell says you get more done with, with political followers with a brass band than any amount of, of uh, critical argument. And that's true, too. But organizing chaos from Bernays on propaganda, and uh, it says the conscious and intelligent manipulation of their organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is a true ruling power of our country. We're governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. Uh, this is the logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together as a smoothly functioning society. Our invisible governors are, in many cases, unaware of the identity of their fellow members in the inner cabinet. The governors, the governors by their qualities of natural leadership, their ability to supply needed ideas and by their key positions in the social structure. Whatever attitude one chooses towards this condition, it remains a fact that in almost every act of our daily lives, whether in the sphere of political or business, in our social conduct or our ethical thinking, we're dominated by the relatively small number of persons, a trifling fraction of our 120 um, million that was the population of the U.S. when he was writing this, who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires which control the public mind, who harness old social forces and contrive new ways to bind and guide the world. Remember, this guy was advisor to goodness knows how many presidents, all the way from Wilson onwards. He says it's not, only, uh, it's not usually realized how necessary these invisible governors are to the orderly functioning of our group life. In theory, every citizen may vote for whom he pleases. Our constitution does not envisage political parties as part of the mechanism of government, and its, frag and its farmer framers seem not to have pictured to themselves existence in our national politics of anything like the modern political machine. 
but the American voters soon found that without organization and direction, their individual votes, cast perhaps for dozens of hundreds of candidates, would produce nothing but confusion. Invisible government in the shape of rudimentary political parties arose almost overnight, and it did too, because it was planned that way. Ever since then, we have agreed for the sake of simplicity and practicality that party machines should narrow down the field of choice to two candidates, or at most three or four. Now, that ties right in again with Carl Quigley, because he said the same thing. It doesn't matter which president you, you, or potential president you want to vote for, uh, they are picked already by the Council on Foreign Relations. And he said under different names before they, they stuck on the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, they've been doing it since the 1880s. This is in theory, every citizen makes up his mind on public questions and matters of private conduct. In practice, if all men had to study for themselves the abstruse economic, political and ethical data involved in every question, they would find it impossible to come to a conclusion uh, about anything. And I'll be back with more of this after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix, just going through how opinions are formed and how they're given to the public and marketed to the public and how the public really think they're saying because everyone else around them gets the same propaganda and everyone does want to conform. They want to conform uh, with their peer group. They don't want to be the outcast because they don't agree on certain topics or whatever, whatever is the end thing. And, and even behavior-wise, they must go along with it all at the same time. They want to be politically correct. And that's the problem in the matrix system before they wake up. But he says here, this is Bernays again, and he was a member, the high member of the group uh, that Milner put in, in the U.S. from London. It says, in theory, every citizen makes up his mind on public questions and matters of private conduct. In practice, if all men had to study for themselves the abstruse economic, political, and ethical data involved in every question, they'd find it impossible to come to a conclusion about anything. We have voluntarily agreed to let an invisible government, and he was part of it, sift the data and high spot the outstanding issue so that our field of choice shall be narrowed to practical proportions. From our leaders and the media they, they use to reach uh, the public, we accept the evidence and the demarcation of issues bearing upon public question. From some ethical teacher, be it a minister, a favorite essayist, or merely prevailing opinion, we accept a standardized code of social conduct to which we conform most of the time. Today it, it's, it's music, television, and, um, and so on, entertainment. In theory, everybody buys the best and cheapest commodities offered to him on the market. In practice, if everyone went around pricing and chemically tasting before purchasing the dozens of soaps or fabrics or brands of bread which are for sale, economic life would be hopelessly jammed. To avoid such confusion, society consents to have its choice narrowed to ideas and objects brought to its attention through propaganda of all kinds. This is the master propagandist talking. There is consequently a vast and continuous effort going on to capture our minds in the interest of some policy or commodity or idea. It might be better to have, instead of propaganda and special pleading, committees of wise men, he calls them. 
he was one of them, who would choose our rulers, dictate our conduct, private and public. So he's talking about private, public life as well. That's all your morality. And decide upon the best types of clothes for us to wear and the best kinds of food for us to eat. But we have chosen the opposite method, that of open competition. We must find a way to make free competition function with reasonable smoothness to achieve the society has consented to permit free competition to be organized by leadership and propaganda. Some of the phenomena of this process have, are criticized, the manipulation of news, the inflation of personality, the use of celebrities, and the general ballyhoo by which politicians and commercial products and social ideas are brought to the consciousness of the masses. The instruments by which public opinion is organized and focused may be misused. Well, he was darn sure of that because he did it himself many times. But such organization and focusing are necessary to orderly life. Now, that's what they claim, these wise men claim. They want orderly life, and they decide what orderly life is going to be. Even if they, th- if they bring you through a wrecking period, and I mean that as a wrecking period to destroy the old society, the old morality, to bring in the new, which makes it easier for them to control you. And if we jump from there and we go into Mr. Brzezinski, and he talks about um, he talks about the, the similar things too in the Technotronic Revolution, which was planned a long time ago as well. This book was written in the 70s. And he says, uh, and this really, this guy is really a continuation, you see, of Bernays. He says, this new relationship is a tense one. Actually, I should start here. Every, 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 eventually these changes and many others, including some that more directly affect the personality and quality of the human being himself, will make the technotronic society as different from the industrial as the industrial was from the agrarian. You think you're just evolving through, because they've got breakthroughs in the sciences. These sciences they present to you are very old. And they're always kept top secret and used by military long before you hear of them. And they plan what they're going to do with society, which is always to get more control. He says, and just as a shift from an agrarian economy and feudal politics towards an industrial society and political systems based on the individual's emotional identification with the nation state give rise to contemporary international politics, so the appearance of the technotronic society reflects the onset of a new relationship between man and has, ex- has expanded global reality. Uh, they were going to make you global long before he wrote the book and do away with the nation-state. He says, this new relationship is a tense one. Man has still to define it conceptually and thereby render it com- comprehensible to himself. Our expanded global reality is simultaneously fragmenting and, thre- and thrusting itself upon us. The result of the coincident explosion and implosion is not only insecurity and tension, but also an entirely novel perception of what many still call international affairs. In other words, when they destroy the nation-state, the same as they did when they destroyed uh, the areas that were agrarian farmers to bring in the Industrial Revolution, which was also planned. They dumped corn through the free market from other countries, very, very cheap, and forced the farmers out of business to fill in these new brick cities where they would be housed to work in the factories for 16 hours a day. But this global consciousness, as I'm saying, is um, it's, it's, it's vague. It's, uh, you can't relate to it. It's too huge to relate to. And that's why folk like wars and everything else, they, they can't imagine. It's just too remote from them to, to comprehend in their minds what really is going on in the world. They feel that they're floating without an anchor. 
Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading Brzezinski, who was talking about this phase we're going through right now, but he was writing about it 30 odd years ago. And it's all planned, you see, by the wise men, as like to call it themselves. But it says here, life seems right now, this is really what we're bringing in the late 70s and bringing, they knew it would speed up this present phase. It says, life seems to lack cohesion as an environment rapidly alters and human beings become increasingly manipulable and malleable because we are through mass entertainment and advertising and conformity, whoever wants to conform, as I say, to their peer group. Everything seems more transitory and temporary, and that's a fact, too. There's a lot more to that. He just skips over it. But they were deliberately, literally uh, altering the environment you lived in, and buildings would sometimes get knocked down after 10 years because it made everything, uh, and it put everything in flux. You couldn't re- go to grandma or grandpa and say, do you remember that road that was there in those buildings? And they could relate to you of this continuity that you had. That was all destroyed, and it's pr- it was purposely done, too. Everything seems more transitory and temporary, external reality more fluid than solid, the human being more synthetic than authentic. And I've always said that you, most folk are really composites of all their indoctrinations. Even our senses perceive an entirely novel reality, one of our own making, but nonetheless in terms of our sensations, quite real. More important, there's already widespread concern about the possibility of biological and chemical tampering with what has now been considered the immutable essence of man. You're talking about the scientists with your food and your injections and so on. Mind you, Russell said it long before him. He said they use a needle for a compliant society. Human conduct, some argue, can be predetermined and subjected to deliberate control. Man is increasingly acquiring the capacity to determine the sex of his children, to affect uh, through drugs the extent of their intelligence, and to modify and control their personalities. Speaking of a future at most only decades away, an experimenter in intelligence control asserted, I foresee the time when we shall have the means and therefore inevitably the temptation to manipulate the behavior and intellectual functioning of all the people through environmental and biochemical manipulation of the brain. Because they were already te- doing it all and uh, testing back then. And I've gone through a lot of those, those document- documents as well. Even the UN was sponsoring big uh, experimental projects on ways to eliminate the ghost in the machine, which means essence, this essence of you. That's what it means. So you'd all conform together. So, so thus it is an open question whether technology and science will in fact increase the options open to the individual. Under the headline, Study Terms Technology, a boon to individualism, the New York Times reported the preliminary conclusions on a Harvard project on the social significance of science as, particular, as participants were quoted as concluding that most Americans have a greater range of personal choice, wider experience, and a more highly developed sense of self-worth than ever before. This may be so, 
but a judgment of this sort rests essentially on an intuitive and comparatively insights and comparative insight into the present and past states of minds of Americans. And it's true until you go through your own life and the changes uh, in society, culture, and everything else that you've experienced, you, you won't get a grasp of what's really going on. You have to have recall. It says, insight into the present and past states of the minds of Americans. In this connection, a word of warning from an acute observer is highly relevant. And it says here, it behooves us to examine carefully the degree of validity as measured by actual behavior of the statement that a benefit of technology will be to increase the number of options and alternatives the individual can choose from. In principle, it could in fact, the individual may use any number of psychological devices to avoid the discomfort of information overload and thereby keep the range of the alternatives to which he responds much narrower than which uh, technology in principle makes available to him. And that ties in with that first study I talked about tonight on the show. It says, in other words, the real questions are how the individual will exploit the options to what extent he will be intellectually and psychologically prepared to exploit them, and in what way society as a whole will create a favorable setting for taking advantage of these options. Their availability is not of itself proof of a greater sense of freedom or self-worth. And that's also, he's he's hinting also at the Internet. He he hints a lot of the coming Internet in this particular book. Instead of accepting himself as a spontaneous given, Man in the most advanced societies may become more concerned with conscious self-analysis according to external, explicit criteria. Now, think about the Internet, too. Uh, as soon as you got it, there's, there's, there's um, IQ tests up there for you to test yourself and your personality traits. Is there anything are you inhibited in some way? Well, this is what he's saying here. This is what he says before you even heard of the Internet. It says to become more conscious of self-analysis according to external, explicit criteria, such as what is my IQ? What are my aptitudes, my personality traits, capabilities, attractions, and negative features? The internal man spontaneously accepting his own spontaneity will more and more be challenged by the external man consciously seeking his self-conscious image, and the transition from one to the other may not be easy. It will also give rise to difficult problems in determining the legitimate scope of social control. That's what you're going through right now as authoritarian society and social control. The possibility of of mining the legitimate scope of social control, of, of extensive chemical mind control, the danger of loss of individuality inherent in extensive transplantation, the feasibility of manipulating the genetic structure will call for the social definition of common criteria of use and restraint. As a previously cited writer put it, while the chemical affects the individual, the person is significant to himself and to society in his social context, at work, at home, at play. The consequences are social consequences in deciding how to deal with such uh, alterers of the ego and of experience and consequently alters of the personality uh, after the experience and deciding how to deal with the changed human beings. We will have to face new questions such as, who am I? When am I who? Uh, who are they in relation to me? This has all been discussed in top think tanks. Uh, he wasn't the guy who came up with this. He just sat in them. Moreover, man will increasingly be living in man-made and rapidly altered environments. By the end of the century, approximately two-thirds of the people in advanced countries will live in cities because that's the agenda under Agenda 21, which he doesn't mention here. 
Urban growth has so far been primarily the byproduct of accidental economic convenience of the magnetic attraction of population centers and of the flight of many from rural poverty and exploitation. Well, you see, you create the poverty like the Great Depression and then you, you flood them into your manufacturing areas. And that's what they did in, in the U.S. as well. It has not been deliberately designed to improve the quality of life. The impact of accidental cities is already contributing to the depersonalization of individual life as the kinship structure contracts and enduring relations of friendship become more difficult to maintain. That was all part of the, the plan structure. You'd have, you'd have temporary relationships, which would be basically physical, of male and female, even male to male and female to female and so on. Uh, to take up the slack, you might say, as everyone's losing their personality and their anchorage. Now, it says, Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, was perhaps guilty of only slight exaggeration when he warned that overcrowding in animals leads to a distorted, neurotic, and downright pathological behavior. That's what you get in cities. That's why you've got so many cops and everything, and SWAT teams, and so many cameras. This is all planned for this phase we're going through now. We can be sure that the same is true in principle of people. City life today is definitely leading to mass mental disease, to growing vandalism and possible eruptions of mass violence. If you wonder why they brought on the war of terror, this is the real reason all about it worldwide. They've had world meetings and all this for the last 50, 60, 70 years. The problems of identity is likely to be complicated by a general gap intensified by the dissolution of traditional ties because we're going to destroy the family unit and that's the only thing that held anybody together. And values derived from extended family and enduring community relationships. The dialogue between the generations is becoming a dialogue of the deaf. Interesting, eh? They were making sure, of course, that young ones would never listen to the older ones. Who could pass some wisdom on to them? The dialogue between the generations is becoming a dialogue of the deaf and no longer operates within the conservative, liberal or nationalistic international framework. The breakdown of communication between the generations so vividly evident during the student revolutions of 1968 was rooted to the irrelevance of the old symbols to many young people, but it was also foisted on them by, of course, people who were well planted as professors in universities and has been uh, defectors from the old Soviet Union, talked about that. That's why they had the demonstrations and all the rest of it. They were taught to. They were taught to. So that's a little bit on uh, this changing society, which is planned just to show you that it truly, truly is planned. There's nothing you're going through that isn't planned. Recently there was an article in Maclean's magazine, uh, and it was about mothers who were the feminists, you see, who I guess most of them didn't even have husbands, they didn't want permanent mates. They were taught they could have it all, and now they're all worried and and, and annoyed because they say their daughters have turned out to be sluts. They don't understand the war on the family that was all part of this control system because, you see, if you don't have a family, there's nobody to stand up for you. It's been the backbone of, of survival, survival, basic survival for thousands of years. And that had to be destroyed as well to bring in this great society, this global society that he talks about where you're in flux, you have no anchor basically because you can't relate to a global world society. No different than people in say Britain or Ireland can relate to some faraway parliament in some other country ruling over them. 
and when it goes global, totally global, then you have no roots at all. You have no national identity to fall back on, and you've got this hodgepodge of a new emerging identity, which belittles you even further because it's designed to. It's not going to be a, a mix of cultures. Eventually, it's going to be a monoculture. Culture. And um, the creme de la creme, as Jack Lull and Jack Zatali said too, will be creamed off the top to go travel across the world as the new global high um, bureaucratic elite that are nomadic as you go from country to country, really city to state to city to state. So we're living through transitions that are planned long before you're born. This stuff that Brzezinski was talking about was planned long before he was born, and he just sat in on the meetings as they updated the things, made sure that their plans were all working well. But as I say, the family unit had to be totally destroyed altogether. Remember Julian Huxley, the first CEO of UNESCO that was mentioned by Brzezinski there, said, he said they had to destroy the family unit. And they do it through education, primarily through education starting at school. And they would separate the bonding aspect of the sexual aspect completely until it was a purely physical thing. And now, as I say, you've got this in McLean's magazines, uh, where the feminists, they were all guided by lesbians initially, too. I remember all, um, are, are all disappointed that their daughters have turned out to be sluts. Why? Because music television, just turn it on and watch it for, for a few minutes and see what we have got there. That's all that they're taught to be. That's all. That's it. And, of course, as you, if you fail to bond, uh, then you, be, you, be, you literally lose part of your effective uh, ability to relate to others altogether because you truly are um, losing any identity of who you're, you, you are yourself. That's what's happening. So people emulate and they mimic the, the type of culture that's thrown at them by those who have the money and the power and comprise the secret government to make it so. People have a hard time with this. They can't believe that there's such an organization in the world. It has to be aliens. It has to be something else that's doing it because humans aren't bright enough. Uh, this is nonsense, utter nonsense. That's the backfire I was talking about earlier. You, you retreat into an area that's more comfortable because surely humans couldn't do this. If you have all the money in the world and you belong to a society that's, that's had all the money in the world for an awful, awful long time, you can hire as many think tanks as you wish. You can hire as, and you can create as many marketing divisions as you wish to, to market the ideas to the public, to make sure what you want taught in the school will be taught in the school, to make sure that youngsters will be entertained in the way that you want them entertained, not for their benefit, but to fit into your plans, which is total control. When there's no family unit, everyone's helpless. And that's where they want everyone to be. H.G. Wells said the same thing a long time ago in one of his books. He said, the time must come when government can talk directly to each individual on a one-to-one basis with no one stepping in in front of them or around them for support. Only then will it be absolute. And that's pretty well where you are today. Back in a moment after this break. folks, I'm back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. But just to finish on the same topic as I've been going on with here, 
I'd like to go into uh, this little article here. It's called Before It's News. And they go into uh, some of the topics we've been talking about here. Uh, remember what Basinski said about the temptation to use chemicals and so on to alter human behavior and that kind of thing. It's, it's, so there's a good article in Before It's News. And it mentions the fact that um, Monsanto has now uh, basically bought over what was called Blackwater, and uh, it's now, I think, X is called or something. And um, they're using these guys with their agents. They have agents, just like a, a government has there's their spies and agents and so on, to go after all the folk who are against the GMO food. And also, Monsanto itself, remember, is part of the military-industrial complex. It made its money through various chemicals for, for defoliating um, defoliating. The Vietnam jungle and other places too, but also other chemicals to simply kill people off. And, and va- now here they, are, here they are making your food, and we think we think we're taught that it's okay for these guys to make your food, your GMO food, and all the rest of it. And then you get Bill Gates again, who's brought up to the philanthropist level, and suddenly when you become a philanthropist, you just want to decimate the population of the planet. It seems to be a natural thing for you, like being born again or something. And they're all on board with this. Well, he's bought a massive share too into Monsanto and pushing their GMO foods. And he's also pushing the vaccines. And he said himself at meetings that the vaccines could drastically reduce the populations. You know, people will phone in here and ask me things which are obvious, but you don't need my confirmation on anything. Do your own study on it. It's all out there. And again, getting back to where I said, where people backfire, they go back into their comfort zone. Nobody would be doing that to us. Nobody would be poisoning us. No one's manipulating my brain. I know who I am. Really, who are you? What are you? As Brzezinski said, what are you? You're in flux. You're in flux between ages. And that was the name of his book, of course. Because it's planned that way as we go into the next phase of domination, total domination, with a planned society. They'll reduce it over a 50-year period or so, maybe even quicker. We're already... Uh, being decimated, folk don't realize that the media is not telling you about the incredible death rate as cancers have been skyrocketing for about 30 years now. That's part of depopulation too. And people are deadly serious, and I mean deadly serious when they have world meetings about depopulation. They have a Department of Population at the United Nations. Before it was called the United Nations, it's called the League of Nations. And they had a department of it then too. That was a prime mandate for them, was to bring down the populations of the world. Do you think they have world meetings and, and then make up wish lists and send it off to Santa Claus and, and just hope? Of course not. Do you think we're being sterilized in, in, across the world, mainly in the Western world, and have been for years, since the 50s, the sperm comes dropped and plummeted in the males? It didn't happen by itself. Things don't happen by themselves, on a mass scale in society. It does not happen. There are causes of it. Some of the causes I've gone over before on this particular program. And it really is happening. And people are doing it. Because, after all, they see themselves as the managers of the world. This is the age of world managers, as I've said at the Council on Foreign Relations. And we're the sheep, and you have the shepherd kings. But everyone's having fun, 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 and they don't notice till it's always too late. And then the psychiatrist takes over. That's what they're for. And that's for the, the feminists who produce the daughters, their mouths, sluts. And the guys who know better, 
there in a, a candy shop comparing all the candy. That's all they see on music television as well in the movies. From Hamish, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.